This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I've been receiving some requests from some of you to release the three podcasts that I created years ago on the 1964 unsolved murder of Beverly Jaros. These three episodes were among the first podcasts that I ever created, and it was under the name American Crimecast. You will hear interviews from Beverly's sister, Carol, along with her mother, Eleanor. I am very saddened to share that Eleanor has since passed away. About five and a half years ago, Diane wrote to my mother and asked if she could meet with her because of her interest in Beverly's case. My mom and I met Diane in April of 2011. Since then, Diane has researched Beverly's case thoroughly, talking to as many people as possible. Other than law enforcement, I consider her to be an expert on Beverly's murder and she has become a trusted friend. Diane McClellan is from the Cleveland, Ohio area. However, she currently resides in North Carolina. A few years ago, she collaborated with an author who wrote about a murder mystery in her area, which resulted in a book being published. This is Carol, Beverly's sister. After the original podcast, when Shane told me what the medium envisioned, I couldn't believe how it was so spot on on identifying one of the current top suspects, and that's Harry Joseph Madoff. Before I continue, I would like to say that if she had described any of the other debated suspects, I would not have participated in this podcast. All of the other suspects have no criminal history and have lived relatively normal lives, and I believe they are all innocent until proven guilty. In the previous episode on Beverly, we spoke in depth about many suspects the public felt may have murdered her. An ex-boyfriend with a slightly rough background, her current boyfriend at the time of her murder, and of course several boys that lived in the neighborhood. If you haven't listened to this part one episode, I recommend going back to listen so you can have a much better understanding of what happened to Beverly on that day in 1964. On this episode, we are sharing with you our number one suspect. But please understand... What you will hear is based on facts, and from those facts, we will be drawing our own opinion. 
Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This entire episode is a result of a very interesting reading from a psychic medium, which will be presented at the end. I am Shane Waters. This is American Crimecast. was a known stabber. He was known to carry knives with him. He came to live in Garfield Heights on September 24, 1964. It would have been a 15-minute walk to our house from where he lived. He had worked at Halley's department store in downtown Cleveland prior to Beverly's murder. He could have seen Beverly or met Beverly on a bus going downtown um, or at Halley's, a store that we would regularly shop at. He alternately confessed and then denied killing Beverly. Harry Madoll was violent by age two and accused of breaking and entering at age nine. By 17, he was in and out of 17 behavioral institutions and schools. He attacked three women at knife point, raped his stepmother, and threatened to kill his two half-siblings, all by age 17. His parents divorced by age five. If... Harry Madoll was the one who committed the murder, two things come to mind. The mystery gifts were not left by Harry. He was living in Michigan and in a reformatory school during the summer of of 1964, and the gifts were left in June of 1964. Also, he would not have been responsible for the hang-up calls. They also started in mid-summer, but stopped three to four weeks prior to the murder. Madoll's move back to Garfield Heights in 1964 was three months prior to Beverly's murder. As you will remember, Beverly was home alone when an unknown person entered the home, strangling Beverly in her upstairs bedroom, and in his rage, stabbing her 42 times. He lived two times in Garfield Heights. The first time was in 1960. His grandmother and aunt lived in Brexville, and his first cousin married into the Brown Derby restaurant family, and his first cousin was part owner of that company. In 1962, Harry Madel was sent back to Michigan to live with his dad when his mother married Martin Welsh. In 1964, Mom divorced Welsh, and Harry moved back to Garfield Heights. He had just been released from a reform school for hardcore juvenile sex offenders. In February 1965, he attacked and stabbed a pregnant housewife, Gerda Leedy, in Elyria. This is when Garfield Heights Police Department brought Harry in for questioning. When the Cleveland detectives found him, he was in a closet hiding, and they were also working on Beverly's case, and they noticed that there were three scars on him, two on his face and a two-inch scar on his wrist. He did take four polygraph polygraph tests and they were deemed inconclusive, but eventually Horrigan gave him a pass on these. To this day, he does not have an alibi or, or his whereabouts could not be accounted for between 12 Um, p.m. and 5 p.m. on December 28, 1964. 
The psychic mentioned the killer hiding in a closet. This is what Harry Madal did after stabbing Gerda Leedy. She mentions hair falling in his face and him wearing glasses. Madal wore glasses and his hair fits the description also. She mentioned the killer using aliases. Madal had very many different names he used. She mentioned seeing the British flag. His wife was from Britain and he lived there at one time. He pulled off many financial scams. Most recently that we know of was in 2006 in Austria. And we believe that he may be living in Germany somewhere today. It's my personal opinion that Beverly never opened the door to the killer. I think whoever, whoever it was broke in and surprised her as she was putting on her sweater in her upstairs bedroom. Goes along with Harry Madal since he was breaking and entering and stealing by age nine. Probably wouldn't have been too hard to get into our house. In 2007, someone in law enforcement, and I want to say it was not from the Garfield Heights Police Department, put us in touch with a local medium from Cleveland. And she came to the Thornton Avenue house. My dad was still living there. And my mother and my daughter were there also. But there were no great revelations made. Then last July in 2015, I did have a telephone reading with a nationally known psychic. And I did pay the psychic. The one who came to our house in 2007, she just did it out of the goodness of her heart. The nationally known one, I feel his reading was going nowhere. And... I just kept on giving him more and more information, and I thought he was floundering and talking about Beverly's murder, but as I kept on giving him more information, he finally came up with someone who he thought did it. Diane McClellan, someone who we considered to be an expert with her knowledge of Beverly's case, began to focus on Madoll after discussing the case with a well-known cold case detective from Nashville, Tennessee. She calls him Pat. He was a cold case detective for 35 years prior to their conversation. He didn't rule out the other suspects totally, he says, because we got to keep them in the mix too. He said, but he just felt as though this crime was committed by somebody who had done something like this in the past or had gone on and or went on to do it in the future. And he asked me if there were any suspects who fit this description. There was one, and that was Harry Joseph Madoll. After he said that, I began to focus on Madoll and go back over the newspaper clippings um, that I had on Madoll from when he had stabbed Gerda Leedy in February of 1965. Some of the things Diane began to look at differently was the fact that could the gifts and the calls have actually been from a true admirer of Beverly's versus the killer. She also looked at the two statements Beverly's grandmother had given about the phone call conversation with Beverly right before the murder. Her original statement was, she said Beverly had told her on the phone, Graham, I have to go now. But she sounded as though she were in a hurry. And then after the funeral, some days later, it's around January the 4th, January the 5th, Mrs. Vanek's statement changes. And I'm wondering if this couldn't have had something to do with the fact that now she knew 
via the newspapers, TV, people talking. Everybody knows now that Barb was actually at the door when the murder was being committed. So does Mrs. Vanek's statement sort of change then because of the publicity and the news and has now changed to have to go now, Graham, Barb is here. And so we do have these two statements that are open to scrutiny. The third thing I also really looked at is that the Stackowitz call is indeed the killer. He is somewhat familiar with what goes on in the Jarrah's house, but not totally. And uh, the Stackowitz call either has to be ruled in as the killer or it has to be ruled out as not the killer. And it's never been proven either way. To me, it's always been the Stackowitz call was to ensure that neither that Mr. or Mrs. Jarris was going to be home that day. About 20 minutes before Beverly was murdered, she received an unknown phone call. She took a note that said Stephen Stackowitz called, we'll call back later. This name turned out to be a fake. Uh, the other thing I looked at, too, some of the Cleveland detectives thought that perhaps the killer actually entered through the back door and went out the side door. One of the theories I had is why they thought this could have happened is because of the angles of the doors that Mr. Jarris found when he got home. The back door was only open about 45 degrees. The side doors, though, were open almost 90 degrees. So could the killer have slithered in through the back door and going out the side door is naturally the doors are going to be more open as he is fleeing the scene. Okay, no, he doesn't have to take the precautions. And the other thing that I had thought about a lot, too, if Beverly had known the killer, would she have let him in the side door and not have closed the doors behind her? When we were kids, you were told to always close the door behind you in the wintertime and both doors to the that would take you down in the basement and the door that would take you lead you into the kitchen and the main part of the house. And so I feel that Beverly would have closed those doors behind her if she had known the killer. Madel actually lived in Garfield Heights twice. The first time was in 1960. His grandmother and aunt lived in Brecksville, which is very close to Garfield Heights. Madel's first cousin also lived in Brecksville and married into the Brown Derby restaurant family and was part owner of the company. Madel was sent back to his father in Michigan around 1962 when his mom married Martin Nathan Welch. But by 1964, his mom divorced Mr. Welch, and Madel came back to live with her in Cleveland. Cleveland detectives Dimperio and Hospidor, uh, they were working Beverly's case, and were, they were the ones to also find Harry Joseph Madel hiding in a closet at the Embassy Apartments on Prospect Avenue in Cleveland when Madel fled Illyria after stabbing Gerda Leedy. When they picked him up, he was hiding in a closet there at the Embassy Apartments, and they noted that Madel had three visible scars. He had one scar, a two-inch scar on his wrist, and he also had two faint scars on his head, one between his nose and one at the the tip of his eyebrow. 
The other thing they noted was that he was from Garfield Heights. And then after that, they go ahead and they contact Detective Horrigan. Madal admitted and denied killing Beverly, and he was given four polygraph tests. His fingerprints were also inconclusive. Madal never had an alibi that checked out for that Monday afternoon. From noon until 5 p.m., Madal's whereabouts remain unknown. Detective Horrigan, the lead detective on Beverly's case, was only given 72 hours to link Madal to Beverly's murder before he had to return Madal to Elyria's police to stand trial for the stabbing of another girl, Gerda Leedy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash foul, F-O-U-L. Madal was tried as an adult for the Leedy incident and sentenced to 1 to 20 years. In 1972, Madal was granted parole, but he broke his parole and fled Ohio. For the next 18 years, Madal's life will be one of fleeing and eluding authorities, using women, doing scams, fighting extradition in Atlanta and Quebec, and being convicted in federal court for federal scams. Finally, in 1990, Madal was granted release for the stabbing of Gerda Leedy and the federal crimes. Ironically, by the time Ohio granted Madal his release, he had already fled to Canada. He had been doing a mining scam in Arizona while he was on his final parole bout in San Francisco. And when people began, when he, when people got wise to him that he was ripping them off for this mining scam, he fled to Canada. As, and I believe Madel now to be living in Sweden or Switzerland or northern Germany. A noteworthy thing about Madal, at some point in his life, Madal had a tattoo made. It was a tattoo of a young lady with a knife in the middle of the lady and a snake wrapped around the knife. The medium describes seeing the girl's hair flying in his face. She sees dark eyes and glasses. This described Harry Joseph Madal. Madal had to wear glasses. He had astigmatism. And he wore a long hair Elvis Presley style hairdo. And also, he's got hazel eyes, but he has like really large dark pupils. Okay, it was just, I could just see him when she gave me that description. She also talks about the medium sees three. Madal had stabbed three women in Michigan before he came to Garfield Heights in 19, for the second time in 1964. And another thing he, she says that really captured me was the medium says the killer admitted to a little he is hiding more. These were almost identical words that Detective Horgan had used after he had interviewed Madoff for three days. He said he's either trying to be a mor- martyr or he's hiding something. And the other thing is that he 
Madoff did confess to killing Beverly, but then would retract it. He would go back, he would alternate back and forth, admit and then deny, admit and then deny, just causing mass confusion. And uh, something that Horrigan did not know at the time, Detective Horrigan did not know at the time, was that Madoff is a very intelligent man. His IQ is almost that of a genius. His IQ reaches somewhere around 149. And this was determined when he was going to stand trial in the Gertolini case. Since he was close to being the age 18, they wanted to try him as an adult. And so that meant having psychiatric tests performed to make sure he could stand trial. And that's when they found out he was indeed a genius almost. The medium also mentions the killer met Beverly at a store or a public place. Madoff had worked at Halley Brothers downtown over the Christmas holiday, starting around Thanksgiving. And Beverly had been there a number of times uh, to do Christmas shopping and just for the girls to go downtown and hang out too. And also, he lived right off McCracken Road on East 141st Street. They would possibly at times have been on the same bus route going, that would be the McCracken Road bus route, because Beverly's house was right at the corner there of McCracken, but on Thornton Avenue, and then Madel's home would be further down McCracken off of East 141st Street. Another thing that Madel will tell Detective Horrigan when he is being interviewed by Detective Horrigan, it's about a 15-minute walk to the Jarris home, almost indicating he had at some point walked down to that, walked down to the house there. The medium also talks about seeing the killer getting people to trust him, but he also has a very dark side. Madoff is a textbook classic sociopath. He has spent his he has spent his entire life manipulating people. He dislikes women and he uses women. In his later years, he will go on to be he makes his living basically doing scams and being a con artist. He can feel or have remorse. The medium mentions that the killer likes to brag about not getting caught. When Madoff fled to Canada, to Quebec, it will take the Rocky Mounted Police almost three years to apprehend him and to come back to Atlanta to stand trial for doing both federal scams and for his fed, uh, uh, parole violation and the Gertolini stab, stabbing. And the que- Quebec policeman would tell me how he just, he really got into playing a game of cat and mouse with them. The medium talks about seeing a British flag. Madoff was married to a lady in Atlanta who was born and raised in England and came to the United States when she was 18. And also Madoff would go on to live in England for a number of years and in the early 2000s, like around 2002, 2000, through 2006, 2008. And another thing the medium had mentioned was that he likes to, the killer likes to change his name a lot. Again, this fits Harry Joseph Madoff. He, when he was even captured in 1965 and being for the stabbing of Gerda Levy, they did not even know how old he was for a number of hours because he had five to six alias IDs on him. And for instance, another ID, he, a fake ID he will use when he's living in Atlanta, he will actually use the name David Kimball equaling David that Jansen, who played Richard Kimball in The Fugitive. So he liked to use that name for a while. Another thing is, and what really got me, is when the medium talked about 
the killer hiding in Beverly's class. It seems to me with all the institutions that Madel had been in and out of, that one form of punishment for him must have been to be put into a closet or a closed space. I have found several, a number, a couple incidents at least, where Madel, after he has committed something bad, would go and hide in a closet. He will do this after he stabbed Gerda Leedy. The detectives will find him hiding in that closet in Cleveland. And again, when he broke his parole for the stabbing of Gerda Leedy in 1972, he was hiding, trying to hide in a closet. And when she had mentioned the closet, really just um, got me to think very much about Harry Joseph Madoff. When he was about 9 or 10, he got either mad at a teacher at school or a pupil at school, and he was not happy until he had busted out every window in that school. Every window in that school had to be smashed before he was satisfied. I remember reading about sociopaths one time. It says if you ever came across a sociopath, start running and don't look back because you cannot change the people. You cannot change them. They're incapable of feeling. People mean nothing to them in their lives. When I look at Beverly's murder and the amount of stabs and just the horrendous suffering that she must have gone through, the person, it went, it's past a passion of crime. Okay, it's past that. I remember I spoke with, there was a detective, Paul King, very, Jerome Paul King, very well-known detective there in Cleveland. In fact, he had worked on the Sam Shepard case, and he was also active in this, in Beverly's investigation, and I think he even did some of the lie detector tests in interviews. And he had, he had passed on some time ago, but I spoke with his son, who is now a retired chief of police, and he had seen the pictures, Beverly's crime scene. And I said, do you think this was an act of passion? He said it was an act of pure hate. If it were Harry Joseph Madoll, he was finally, to me, like possibly fulfilling a fantasy, you know, a wicked fantasy within, his, within him, that he had finally had the freedom to do what he, to lash out, to lash out. And it, do, yeah, and it doesn't really take when you a sociopath will always find a reason that it's the other person that provoked them okay but the other person made them make them do the wrong okay so whether it was a fact that he maybe even tried to call beverly or maybe tried to contact her or at hallie's or where have you and she possibly pushes him back or he just even thinks that she had rebuked him, that would be enough to prompt Harry Joseph Mabel to do something, in my opinion. Absolutely. This could be a situation where he's either working at the stores, okay? Another place he had worked at also was Burroughs and Southgate, okay? So is it a matter of him seeing her, seeing Beverly one day at Southgate, seeing Beverly at Halley's, or even the grocery store could it be on the bus that she he notes her I, east 
141st Street is not far from Marymount High School, where Beverly attended school. It's only about a mile away, if not even a mile away from East 141st Street. Could he have even began to note her there as they were walking, you know, walking back and forth to school? And so there's just a number. And then in his mind, he just assumes that she has either rejected him or rebuked him, or maybe she he even did try to make a little contact with her, and she just didn't take note notice. All the suspects have to remain people of interest just for the fact there's not enough evidence to just put one in the clear limelight and disregard everybody else. It's just not enough there right now. But perhaps somebody with um, the podcast will come forward, may remember possibly Harry Joseph Madoff. Like I said, he did not live in Garfield the second go-round for very long. Another thing I always looked at, too, was the time frame of Beverly's murder. What if Beverly had always known all of these people that were the people of interest, okay? She had known Roger. She had been dating him steadily. Bruce Billick, she had known for all her life, living behind him. Then you had John Palian, who lived a couple doors down, knew him for a long time. All of these people that she was in her, Danny Schulte, had known him for how long? A number of years. It was To me, it seemed as though if you, she, no one, all these people had all known each other all their lives within Garfield, okay? And yes, from time to time, you're going to have spats and arguments and disagreements and breakups and that sort of thing. And yet, during all this course of time, nothing happens. Harry Joseph Madoff comes to Garfield Heights September 24th, 1964, and three months later, almost to the date, Beverly Jarris is murdered. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.
Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. There are a few things the medium mentions that we have not been able to link to Beverly. An example of this is the date of August, the name Jordan, and the number 99. She also mentions the name Tom and Chris. Madol did go by the name of Tom when he was on the run after stabbing Gerda Leedy. And Chris was a name shared by two people who were once close to Madol for a time. Whether or not Harry Madoff murdered Beverly is still something we cannot answer. Throughout his entire life, he seems to have characteristics that would fit the profile of Beverly's killer. Is it possible this is all just a coincidence? Sure. It is possible he has changed over the years. Maybe Madoff has aged into a respectable man, living his life as a loving family man, leaving his old ways behind him. But maybe, just maybe, Sometimes people do not actually change. Instead, they hide who they really are behind a facade they want you to see. If Harry made all, and you would like to share a story about your experience in his life, reach out to us. Harry, if you are listening to this, I invite you to contact me at shane at americancrimecast.com to share with me what you were doing between the hours of 12 and 5 p.m. on December 28th 1964. What you are about to hear is from a conversation I had with a medium shortly after Beverly's first episode was aired. She is from California and knew nothing of Beverly's case. In fact, she had no idea what a podcast was. I gave her a first name and a photo, and she took off, providing us with this information. The word you will hear is from the mediums, being read by our lead investigator, Anna Lohman. I had no idea who Harry Madoff was prior to our conversation. I am being shown a very violent passing, shown strangulation and a lot of violence, but I can't see what more happened to her because my guide is protecting me from seeing it. But I see the severity of violence, and the man that did this had no other intention than to kill her. She put up as much fight as she could. However, her soul was not in her body for the most of it as she was taken by angels so she wouldn't have to suffer. I see a young man, possibly in very early 20s, brown hair, did not look like that sort at all. In fact, no one would have thought to him to be the kind. The name Tom or Tommy comes in relation somehow, either to her, family, or in relation to the killer. I'm not sure what significance the name has. He enjoyed stalking her. They had met a time or two before, but she was not interested in him which is odd because I see him as a clean-cut, good-looking guy. She says she felt something off, odd about him. He first met her in a store or public place. That is how he first became interested in her. She caught his eye. She fit what he was looking for. She was a very free child-like spirit. She knew she would not live a very long life. The people in her life were very important to her. She did have a good amount of friends, but one that she felt close was hurting for many years. She says her friend would have never hurt her. She sends her love to her friend. She says she could have been hurt too, but angels intervened to prevent more evil. 
I see Beverly surrounded by light, healed, and beautiful. I am being told the month of August is important. She wants her family to know she loves and misses them. I am being shown her laughing, acting goofy with her best friend. It's a big laugh. I am seeing them looking at magazines together. I am being shown her eating a piece of pie as well. Not sure why, looks to be pumpkin pie. The name Chris now comes to me, not sure why. I am seeing this man in trouble, possibly behind bars at some point in his life for getting caught doing something wrong. I'm being shown Christmas, the word jamboree. The word 99 comes into sight. The numbers are very big. She tells me her family was everything to her. She sees how hard this has been on them. It has been hard for her to see how hard it has been on them. The man that did this has a hate for women. He enjoyed the stalking. There has been others. He is a serial offender, a sociopath. I see him hiding in her closet. I see curtains flying in a window. The man is handsome, but he has very dark eyes, like the kind you would get chills from. He did not think twice about killing her, no regret. He could try to put on his charm, but his mind is crazy. I see her having a childlike innocence about her, a true beauty in every sense of the word. She never seemed to meet a stranger, was trusting of people. She had spoken to this man before, but I did not see them as ever being friends. I feel he intended to rape her, but she fought harder than he anticipated. I am confused as to why they weren't able to pull DNA from her fingernails because she keeps showing me her fingernails. Her friend was protected by angels, guarded, prevented. She was not intended to be his victim, so she protected. She would have been killed. This is why I am seeing the open window from curtains flowing. It is symbolic of her friend being protected. I am feeling him hid in the closet in the room she was killed in. I am feeling him as a stalker. Something was taken and kept. I am still being showed her fingernails. He had scratches. I see him in dark clothing, wearing leather gloves, worn because he was planning to use the rope. I see him working on cars, either in a shop or as a hobby. He did not like being turned down. He stalked her first before trying to talk to her. She then turned him down, which made him mad. If this case is solved, it will be less meaningful to Beverly than it will for the ones she left behind. It will help them the most. You have a gift, Shane. You can connect to people in a way that is special. These people you are helping, their loved ones that have passed on, they are thankful for you and your gift being used for this purpose. I'm being shown the end of her struggle. I'm seeing it as if I am there. He has turned and is looking at me. There are those dark eyes. His hair has fallen in his face and I am very clearly seeing him wearing glasses. I am seeing these dark, careless, angered eyes. I am being shown the evil that he contains. More fragments of the story are coming in, in the last moments of her life. I am reminded of how he stalked her, like he stalked others. I can see a very charming man who is very dark inside, serial, the number three. I feel there are more, but this is either his first or one of his first. He may have only admitted to a little. He is hiding more. He is dangerous. He could not contain his anger. This is being reaffirmed. The more she struggled, the more it pissed him off. I see a man with no remorse, a man with the devil inside him. I see him again turning and looking at me, hair falling in his face and looking through his glasses. It is physically giving me the chills. There are two sides to this man. He can get people to trust him, but he was sneaky this time to be sure they would be alone. She did not willingly let him inside. 
I see him sliding in through a glass door. He's wearing black, as he normally does, and I see him wearing leather gloves very clearly. I see a rope wrapped around his hand. He liked to surprise women. This is when they were most vulnerable. He enjoyed playing off their vulnerability. With her struggle and fight, I see she did get skin under her fingernails. I feel there is DNA somewhere, and I feel like if pressed, he may crack about this murder. The way he did it, he is proud of himself. He enjoys what he does and never thought he would get caught. I feel he wants credit now. He is a cold-hearted, relentless predator. Beverly had a hand with him getting caught last time. I do not see him behind bars now, yet I do see him behind them at one point. He fancied her. It was an obsession with her. He wanted her sexually. This murder was violent, overkill, because this predator, this serial killer, didn't know how to control himself at that time. He was obsessed and he was pissed off, plain evil. I feel this man will be caught eventually for this. It is like she is trying to get him caught, put away, to prevent others from hurting. She's trying to get him caught from the other side. She wants to save other women. He will not change. I am being told there are many. He has killed many more than they are aware of, and he will continue because he cannot stop. He cannot control himself. He started killing much younger than this with animals. He has a hatred towards women. Demons drive him. I am being shown what I think to be the British flag. He changes his name so often. It would be very hard to tell what name he is going by. I am now being shown the name Jordan. It may be someone close to him. This may sound stupid. I do not know much about your podcast, but I feel if this story is told, talked about these visions, talk about him, someone will hear it and it will ring a bell and he will come forward into the light. He thinks he is untouchable. He will want to talk to you, Shane, to you specifically. He will want to boaster. Other countries will hear you. This will ring more bells. This crime will sound familiar. People will hear it, will share it. It will reach him. Millions will hear it. One thing that people left behind need to understand, and these are her words, is that the ideas come to people for a reason. People are put in your path for another. She loves her story being told because she feels it's helping with the healing. She had always wanted her poetry to be shared. That is why she wrote it. She's saying her story needed to be told, and there are countless others. She is happy with the work being done. She wants you to know that your lives have been aligned for a purpose. You share a similar heart. If she was still alive, she would have her poetry published. She wants people to read it. It demonstrates who she truly was. She wants to share her gifts that she brought to earth with her in the form of words. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 